This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the draft will be here before we know it. Got the combine coming up, all the individual workouts, all of that, and... uh, then we'll see what everybody's team looks like when it's all said and done. But I love the mock drafts that are out there. And we got a guy with us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline who's done a three-round mock draft. He's uh, NFL Media's draft analyst. He is Chad Ryder. Chad, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's my time of year. It is. Yeah. How many? How many versions? We love talking to these to all of you guys that do these mock drafts because I, I assume there's a lot of work and they they always change based on new information or workouts. But how many have you done to this point? Is this the first one? Yeah, um, we don't do mock drafts on NFL.com until the underclassmen, uh, you know, group is official. So uh, this is the we do this. I'll do a four round and then a five round and then a seven round right right before the draft. Yeah, so um, it just seems like it's it's a lot of work, but you you seem to love it, Chad. Because uh, I, I love asking the the mock draft guys like right after the draft, like when's when do you start next year's mock draft? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's a it's a twelve month thing now. Not necessarily mock drafts, but for some people maybe. But for me, just studying players and yeah, and uh, trying to get to know them and and put together information for our people on air uh nfl network and you know for dot-com writing things like that so it's a it's a labor of love uh it's a lot of it's basically just a big puzzle um and you you just try to you know do the best you can and think of interesting things that might happen and and uh lay out a scenario and hopefully people enjoy it what would you say your batting average is in the first round i I wouldn't hold you to the entire draft that's a lot but just first round projections throughout your history do you feel like you're you're batting 500 or you're doing better than that? What would you say? Um, I think, to be honest, I take a lot of chances that other people don't. I, I kind of fade the public on a lot of stuff. So I'm not in the, you won't see my name in the, you know, like top 10 drafts in terms of, you know, uh, getting players and teams kind of mixed up. But I enjoy more um, during the process, kind of trying to think ahead of what changes may be coming that people aren't thinking of. Like, for example, last year, a lot of people were saying uh, B. John Robinson and Anthony Richardson were like late first round picks. And I had them in the top 10, 12, you know, off the bat because um, I knew that the talent was there and those kind of guys tend to rise to the crop. So I, I kind of try to think of things like that. And by the time the draft rolls around, you know, you're going to get your, you know, you, you, what, what I try to do is try to get as many first-round picks in the first round, not necessarily tied to the right teams because a lot of luck involved in that too. But um, so, and as far as I know, uh, Dane Brugler and myself over at The Athletic, I've never seen anybody have more than what he and I did two years ago when we had 30 out of the 32. Nice. Um, wow. And so, I mean, not with the correct team, of course. That's almost impossible. But, but um, anyway, so you do your best you can, and it's really – I don't look at it for that kind of thing. I try to have fun with it. I try to, like I said, think of scenarios that um, that other people are. And then we have guys like Daniel Jeremiah who are, you know, talking to teams and you know trying to do their best to project what teams are going to do. And I take a little bit of a different look at it just to 
be interesting. Hey, Chad, I, I think you have four or five quarterbacks. And, you know, and I heard somebody saying that, you know, this is this is a, a really good year for quarterbacks, but also that, you know, the whole thing with, um, you know, COVID and the extra year and everything is finally kind of evening out. Is that is that the way you see it? Do you think this is a, a as good of a crop of quarterbacks as we've seen in, in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good group. There's question marks in them all, though, like, you know, every – guy that comes out we all have strengths and weaknesses and and whatnot um but there's some really intriguing talents and you know in terms of the class as a whole um the extra year of eligibility that the ncaa gave these players is allowing them to stay in school a little bit longer we got a lot of guys that are playing full five years and then maybe had a redshirt year for a sixth year um michael Penix in washington for example is a good is good example there's a lot of guys like that and then next year will be um, really would get kind of back to normal in terms of the the, the size of the of the class, uh, you know, after next year. So it'll kind of wind down a little bit with that, and we'll, we'll get to people. But yeah, fifty only fifty four underclassmen came into this class, um, partially because of all the seniors that have returned, and partially because of NIL and other things like that. But in, in terms of quarterbacks, it's a good group, um, and you're going to see at least four uh, go in the first round. So in in your mock here, you've where the Seahawks are sitting at sixteen, you've got them making a trade with Philadelphia, trading out of the first round. Uh, trading down, trading, or trading down, down twenty two. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, and uh, you know it, it's not a draft if John Schneider doesn't trade down at least once in the first round, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, Howie Roseman from Philadelphia moves up and. Uh, John moves down. That's that's how it works. So I, I paired those two together in this particular trade where Philadelphia would go and get their center of the future um, to replace Jason Kelsey and Jackson Powers uh, Johnson from Oregon. And um, and Seattle moves down and gets a defensive tackle that they need in, in Johnny Newton out of Illinois. So uh, I would expect that Seattle's traded down twice in the first round a couple of times in the past and i wouldn't be shocked if they if that if they did that again either to accumulate some some later picks um and then you know the thing is people don't think about this but in the second and third round schneider will actually move up um and and get guys that they want so they can accumulate picks later use those picks to move up on day two where maybe the value some interesting value available there so yeah, I think Seattle will definitely be looking to uh, trade down at a 16 spot. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so looking at uh, Jerzon Newton, and I, I was looking at him today, Chad, and he kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Kalijah Cansey, um, who mm-hmm. actually had a pretty good year for uh, for Tampa Bay. But yeah. I know everybody talked about he was not the tallest guy in the world, and he had short arms and all that stuff. But tell us what you what you see about him and how you think he might fit in here, this defensive tackle. Yeah, there are some guys that simply um, overwhelm their opponents with quickness off the snap and uh, pure relentlessness. And I saw the same from Cansey. And, you know, you're not going to put Cansey or Oliver in the Aaron Donald, um, you know, tier because that's not fair. Uh, But but certainly Cansey's got that in. And Newton's a little bigger than Cansey, a little stronger at the point of attack. Uh, So I think he can handle – if Seattle continues to, you know, use a lot of multiple fronts, uh, he can move around, play five technique, he can play out, he, he play outside the tackle at times. Um, and then of course the interior spots and, and he can really have a good effect on their, on their defense, depending on how things go into the new, uh, new staff. 
How, how much do you put into the combine versus what you have on tape on a player? Well, I think the combine is really most, you know, 90% of it is confirming what you've already seen. Um, but there are, there are opportunities for guys to um, make people go back, including myself, make teams go back to the film a little bit and see, okay, maybe in this scheme they weren't asked to come off the edge as much as they potentially could. Um, and, and so you can look at different situations like, okay, they didn't really get to use their athleticism here, maybe as much as they could. Uh, it's sort of a tiebreaker as well. Uh, you know, cause a lot of these guys, you want to, you know, everybody wants to rank these guys one to a hundred receivers or whatever. But the fact of the matter is there's tiers of talent where the fifth best receiver is not significantly different than the eighth best receiver. Um, so you kind of use some tiebreakers in terms of not only like the numbers, but what you see on the field during the combine when they're when they're all on the field at the same time doing the same drills, you can see um, their movement skills, you can see their consistency, the way they're catching the ball. These little things that when they're on the field next to each other is it's really helpful to evaluate because you know as we know schemes are all different for colleges, um, the talent surrounding players are all different for colleges. So you know you, you get these guys in this format where it's really you're just looking at them and what they can do on an individual basis. So, I, you know, I think you, you, you the, the base is the film, obviously, but, you know, not all film is crazy. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, uh, it, it's all about the film, but film, the film can lie a little bit or maybe mislead a little bit. It's, it's not always true because it doesn't tell the whole story of what a, a guy can really do. So uh, what are some of the other uh, position groups, Chad, that you look at and go, okay, this one's pretty plentiful? Because we talked to uh, somebody about they had uh, Jared Verse, I think Florida State, mm-hmm. uh, pass rusher, and he was saying in his opinion that there, it wasn't a great year for for edge rushers. But what anyway, what, what do you think, I mean, as far as uh, other than quarterback, where is the, the best value as far as uh, position goes? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think this is a average to below average edge uh, class. So you might see some teams, you know, making some moves to, to try to get those guys. Um, some of the stronger areas are cornerback uh, should be a very, it should be a lot of corners taken day two, if not day one. Um, offensive tackle, pretty deep one, two class. Some guys sliding into the fourth round that maybe people aren't really thinking will um, at that point. Um, defensive tackles actually a little deeper than the last couple of years as well. And then receivers, uh, again, another D2, a lot of second, third round guys um, that, that are going to end up stepping in and, and um, making uh, a, you know immediate um, contributions to their new team. Hey, so looking at, at the rest of your mock draft as it pertains to the Seahawks, you've got them picking up a second-round pick in that trade with the Eagles, which they don't currently have. So in your mock, they've got a second-round pick, and they spend it, and this will make a lot of people happy out here. They spend it on Michael Penix Jr. Now, I'm, I'm curious where if your opinion changed on him at all, because as, as Dave said, we've talked to a number of draft guys who coming out of that game against Texas – he was the conversation was oh my goodness this guy looked ridiculous and is he a top 10 a top five quarterback does he make it out of the top 10 and then after the Michigan national title game it was does he get sneak into the bottom of the first round is he a, is he you know mid second round and that's kind of where you have him at pick number 50 did your opinion on him change or has it remained the same regardless of what you saw in those two games 
Well, it's not as though my opinion changed, but the, the fact is, is that early in the year, um, nobody breathed on this guy. And, and when you don't, when you don't get to him, he's clearly an accurate quarterback. And, and when he was just able to sit in that pocket and throw to some very talented receivers, he was dangerous. And in the second half of the year, teams got him off the spot a little bit. Uh, he had to make some plays on the run and it, you know, he made some, um, and then it's just in Michigan, he, a team finally put some pressure on him and given the injury history, history he has, um, it's, you know, when a guy plays with a brace on his leg full time, that's tough to ignore. Um, we saw that with Carson strong at Nevada and he went undrafted. That's not going to happen with Penix, but, you know, it wouldn't be shocking to me if he, he could go anywhere from late one to, to early four, depending on how his medical checks out. And that's really an important part of the combine that we don't really get to see. But teams get the medical reports from their doctors. They're, he's going to go through a lot of different tests to see how his knee and shoulder and everything are. So I think, I think, the, mich- I think the, the championship game just kind of – was what most people thought would happen when he actually faced more pressure than, than what he had been able to do. And again, this is getting back to how college tape doesn't always, it can lie or mislead a little bit um, in terms of how they're going to project to the next level. But, but that all that said, if a team can really protect this guy, he can get the ball out fast. He can get out accurately. You know, he's worth that day two pick, uh, you know, just given the, the, the risk. And a lot of times a second round pick isn't much different than a first round pick, except maybe there's a, a risk involved with taking them. Hey, Chad, um, you know, after watching the Super Bowl, tight ends uh, look pretty, pretty important. And there was somebody that had, again, we talked to, to a lot of uh, mock draft guys and had uh, the Seahawks taken Brock Bowers at number 16. And I was like, wow, I I would be shocked if if he fell that far. I, I'm just curious when you look at him, Chad, I mean, you have him going fifth to the Chargers he really stood out. I got a chance to watch a, a good amount of him. He looked like a guy playing pro football. Um, is yeah, is he one of the best tight ends you've seen in a while? Yes, absolutely. And I honestly, I think the only reason that he could fall out of the top 10 is if the medical issues he had this year were more long-term. I don't anticipate that. I haven't heard that. So therefore, to me, he's potentially the second best player in this draft after Caleb Williams. Um, I think he's got a chance to be really special. And with that position becoming more and more important, you got a guy with that agility, with the blocking ability, the strong hands. Um, he can do a little bit. I mean, there's no reason that his, you know, his ceiling is like a, a Travis Kelsey type difference maker. Um, hey. He's got a long way to go fit there, but I'm just, you have to think about when you're talking a top five pick, what is this guy could potentially could be? And he's, he's that kind of special player. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Chad, last one from me. Uh, what, As far as what the Seahawks have done in the last couple of years, i um, been pretty impressed with, you know, especially picking Witherspoon at five. I just didn't – they didn't need a corner, really, and he turned out to be, I think, the defensive rookie of the year. But uh, but what about the job that they've done over the last couple of years here in Seattle? Uh, well, you know, John has done a great job there. Um it, Last year was very interesting because he spoke about this um, publicly, I, I believe, about how 
he has he changed his focus a little bit when evaluating players, and it was fairly obvious last year that he had done that. Um, maybe a little bit the year before as well, uh, in terms of really being um, taking solid players, maybe looking less at upside, and maybe really like focusing on um, not only the talent but the the character, things like that. Uh, and and uh, I think the last couple of years have been different than even what what he had done before. Um, and it's going to be a different dynamic this year uh, without Coach Carroll there. And it'll be very interesting to see how things change uh, in the way they evaluate and uh, in the way they make selections. And but uh, yeah, last couple of years they've done a, a really good job, I think. And um, for example, Abraham Lucas, I thought could have been a, a a late first round pick. I thought this air raid tackle nonsense was nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he wouldn't have got hurt this year, I, you know, I think he would have kept getting better and better. So um, I think they've done a really good job last couple of years. Hey, before we let you go, who's the, who in your mind is the most likely guy to, that we are going to see in the green room and the camera keeps going to him because he was expected to go much sooner than he did every year. There's that guy that they keep flashing to the green room. And is he going to get drafted here? Is he going to get picked here? Yeah. Who's, is there a likely candidate as you see it? Well, I think, well, unfortunately it might be Penix, um, depending on how the medical reports come back. Uh, it depends on a guy like Jeremiah Trotter out of Clemson, who's a linebacker that maybe some people will think as a first round, but if he doesn't work out as well, he could be one of these guys that ends up a late second round pick despite his talent. Um, it depends, you know, like Bo Nix from Oregon, um, they might invite him, but he may not end up being a first round pick. Um, another guy is uh, Latu, Latu from UCLA, really talented edge player, but he had the neck injury that, that forced him out of Washington basically. And um, again, medical could cause him to drop a little bit further than, than his talent would indicate too. So there's, there's a few guys that could be in that unfortunate situation. You just hope that, like Aaron Rodgers and and like others, they uh, they make the most of the of their opportunity once they get on the field. NFL media draft analyst Chad Ryder has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob. Chad, thanks so much for the time. Great stuff, and we appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for the invite. Thanks, Chad. There you go again. Chad Chad Ryder did a uh, three round mock draft, so he's got. He's got the Seahawks going, uh, trading number 16, trading down to number 22 with the Eagles and along with a third round pick for a second round pick and a fifth round pick. And then Mm -hmm. they get 22 and then they go Jerzon Newton, defensive tackle. We've seen his name a couple of times in a couple of different mock drafts um, as a possibility for the Seahawks. They have him at 16 in those, but here he trades down and, and gets Newton at 22, Penix at 50, and then a linebacker out of Michigan, Junior Colson at number 81. Yeah, I'm curious about some of the second level linebackers and and how they value them and you know what you can cuz really I mean look at Bobby Wagner, I mean his rookie year he started off a little bit rough but then about halfway through he he got he got good. I mean he was and he was a second rounder. Mm-hmm. So anything conspicuous about his uh his mock draft here, Bob? Are you pointing to something in particular? Yes. We've got something that only comes along uh, every, you know, so often. We've got a white cornerback. This a white kid, cornerback. Cooper DeGene or Dijon. I'm not sure how you say his name. But I used to play with a guy named Brian Davis. And, you know, he would always joke about, because he was a corner. Really, yeah, yeah really good athlete. But Who's the most famous? Jason Seahorn? Seahorn. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then Brian Davis, who played on a Super Bowl team, and he played here in Seattle. But uh, no, it's uh, it's just it's just interesting that one thing about that um, that position. But uh, yeah, it's uh, something you don't see very often. But I, you know what? Talking to Chad, I so appreciate all the work that these guys put in. You know, and like he said, he's looking at film. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what he's looking for. What, what's he looking at? You know, I think these guys, and I think everybody watches film differently than, you know, the scouts and, and mm-hmm. the GMs and stuff like that. But just the amount of time to put into to this. And what did he say that him and his colleagues were like 30 out of 32? 30 out of 32. Didn't have them in the exact order, but just yeah. pick 30 of the 32 names that were, that d- did actually go in the first round, which I, yeah. I have to imagine is pretty darn good. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what you know. Kuiper's average is, or Lewis Riddick, or any of these guys that you know do version one, one point five, two point I mean, they're doing multiple versions of a mock draft, and there's so much change. I mean, Penix is the most fascinating to me, just because of the the conversation around him coming out of that game against Texas was off the charts. Yeah, and it was not not you know well if he's there at sixteen, should the Seahawks take him? It was is he going to be there at sixteen? Is it is that even realistic to think he's going to fall that far on the heels of that game? That that was the conversation. Is he top ten? Does he get out of the top ten? Is yeah. he a top five pick? And then fast forward to the title game. All of a sudden, it's well, he's got that injury history, and maybe all of the, the again. These are the opinions of the people doing the mock drafts. Yeah, and right, things. right, right. So, right. but it, but it, the the drastic change from one game to the next game is is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think those guys kind of ride that wave a little bit, but. I felt like as far as the NFL goes, they probably didn't move. It didn't move their meter one way or another. I mean, everybody has, you know, and the more we, we talk to, you know, different people, the more it seems like it's more about medical. And I would have never thought that because, you know, he he came back from the, the knee injuries and, uh, you know, I mean, he had two, I think, ACLs. But He's had four season-ending injuries. Yeah. I think two knees, a shoulder, and something else. Another body part, Dave. <laughs> wow. Upper body or lower body? <laughs> I think it was upper. I as believe it was upper. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he is going to be maybe one of the more interesting picks. And you mentioned the green room, and I'm sure when you asked that question, you were like, I'll bet you he's going to say Penix, right? Well, I, I was actually thinking of somebody who was projected to be like a top 10 pick. Yeah. Falls. You yeah. know, with those those are the guys we see every year, yeah. you know, you feel terrible for him. They keep flashing to this kid in the green room, and he's looking despondent. And you see the family and the agent there, and it's like, all right, he's going to go here. No, he's not going to go here. They don't need a quarterback. Yeah. He's going to go here as his next likely spot. It just becomes a game of where does this guy land. All right, our thanks to Chad Ryder. Meanwhile, Seahawks might have the inside track for one highly coveted free agent. We'll talk about that coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We need to update our listeners, Dave. Bad news, the urinator is back. Oh, man. Yeah, Matt Nelson accused me of jinxing it. <sighs> oh, yes. We have you to said he was you. gone. Yes. Now he's back. Okay. You jinxed it. All right, if you believe in that sort of thing. <laughs> Dave's got a lot of power. He looked at me, he took one look at me and said, you know, I'm going to stop flushing the toilet. That's <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's probably that's the, what you're saying, basically. It's probably the same person putting a full plate of food in the dishwasher. Yeah. Probably that person. 
Savage. Apparently, Salk was bragging about it. So <laughs> seems an odd thing to him. brag about, but yeah. okay. Uh, so we were talking about some free agents that the Seahawks could have an inside track on, and I basically put anybody that was in a Ravens uniform on defense last year and that's a free agent. Yeah. The Seahawks have an inside track. That's how I view it. If that's reality, I'm not entirely sure. But you've got to think if 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 McDonald is is regarded as highly as it certainly seemed to be by the comments from Patrick Queen and others on that defense. And if those guys are free agents, it doesn't mean they're automatically going to come here. They may love Baltimore and want to stay regardless. But if they're legitimately entertaining other offers and are open to playing elsewhere, wouldn't this be the most likely spot? Assuming that they filled a need here, that the Seahawks certainly need a linebacker like Patrick Queen or maybe a defensive tackle like Justin Matabike. Um, Or... A guy that we talked about for a really long time here, and he sort of died off, Jadavian Clowney. Would you bring him back? He's coming off a big year. He really had a he's, nice year there. Bob, he's great for sports talk radio. He <laughs> yes. really is. I don't know why. That could send the Seahawks faithful into a tizzy if he were to show up here. We, well, were, we started championing, they got to bring back Clowney. you got to get Clowney in yeah. here. Yeah, they would lose their mind. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, you look at um, Spotrack has, if you want to believe, whatever their estimate is. But for some of these players, they have a little um, a little click that you can, or push, as Matt likes to say, um, a button that says market value. And for Jadavian Clowney, it's 7.2. I mean, that's... You can swallow that, right? I mean, that's not that... If you get anything close to what you got out of him last year, that would be a freaking bargain. Right. He was a problem. He was a, a, arguably his best season. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, by football standards, he's an older guy. He's, he's not he's not peaking. He's not ascending. He's descending. Was he the was he the first pick in the draft? I want to say or was, was he it second? Was it first or second? I can't, I can't remember. I think he was number one. Okay, was number it? one overall in 2014. 14, so 10 years. With the uh, Texans, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, I agree with you. It, it just makes sense. Like, you know those guys. Now, like I've said, you know, you also know what their shortcomings are. But if you look at, like, Patrick Quain and Jadavian Clowney, did they have many shortcomings last year? I mean, this is a really good defense. Played yeah. really well. Well, and, and Matt Abike, or Buike, I don't know if it's BK or Buike, but uh, that guy, defensive tackle, 13 mm-hmm. sacks. Um, from the inside. From the interior. Right? Yeah. That's that's Aaron Donald's stuff. You know, that that's, that's not normal. Now, I don't know what was going on if they just, you know, the way they ran things or the players he had around him really helped open things up. I'm not really sure, but... That's a heck of a year, and uh, just looking at his, you talked about the projections from Spotrack, uh, $20.3 million. They've got a, a four-year, $81.3 million deal for him. And then Queen, they've got a five-year, $92.6 million deal. Yeah. Isn't it Can strange? we have both? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's have both. I'll take both of them. It's it's so weird that when you think about the, the franchise tag number for defensive tackles, like it's around $20 million. Mm-hmm. For a running back, they can't get 11. I mean, they can. I feel like it's going it's, down, too. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing to me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's how the NFL values them, and they're hard to find. And especially, you know, when you have a guy like uh, like that, that Matabuike, that, you know, can get that many sacks. I mean, it's really hard to get those on the inside. So, I mean, look, you're, you're getting double teamed most of the time. So yeah, but I I just think of the 13. linebacker. Goodness, yeah, that that's a, an amazing number. He also had two forced fumbles. I don't know if it came on those sacks, but he, I mean, 
I'd, I'd love to to talk to Coach McDonald about that. Like, what what was that? How did how did this guy out of out of you know all of the people that we we talk about in the league, an interior defensive lineman who's been in the league a bit? He's I mean he's twenty six. He's not he's not old by any stretch. But this was his fourth year, and his best year was the previous year five and a half sacks. Mm-hmm. And he goes from he goes from one to two, five and a half to thirteen. What happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, just getting better and better, learning new tricks. I mean, I think on the inside, it's uh, it's it's a lot about your hand placement and your footwork and stuff like that. I think that's the one position, and I guess you could say the other side of the ball, like the guards and centers. But you know, as far as like your steps, your hip level, all those things that you talk about, like the fundamentals, it's so important inside. If, if you had to choose between those two, you can have one, can't have both. Matabuike or or uh, Patrick Queen, Patrick Queen, linebacker Bob. Come on, I'm going with Queen. <laughs> but yeah, and again, I I would love to see him and and uh, the guy that got picked before him uh, in Jordan Brooks line up on the field together. But it just makes so much sense to me. I feel like it's not going to happen <laughs> because he would, you know, that would be the guy that if you look at this free agent list. Hey, who are you familiar with? Who who do you think could really like jumpstart? Our uh, our defense, but you know Geno Stone, their safety, who was a was a good player. He's also a free agent. So there's a number of uh, a number of players that you could you could bring with you. And I would just think that would be a totally natural thing to do, but maybe not. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I, I wonder how much recruiting is going on. How much how much uh, they love being in Baltimore, or how, did they love being in Baltimore because it was McDonald's defense that they thrived in? So that they would be, it would be attractive to follow them to Seattle, or they're. I mean, Baltimore is a great team. That's a that's a team that's expected to be right back in the thick of it next year. Maybe they, I don't know. It's hard to figure out what somebody's priority is. You got to figure they're going to get close to the same money in most spots at that point, right? Somewhere in the same neighborhood. So it, maybe it does come down to how comfortable you are, or about how how much of a chance you have to win. Yeah. And if that's the case then maybe Baltimore wins out because if we're being honest, they're closer right now than the Seahawks are, certainly. Yeah, no question about it. So, yeah, and look, they they still have John Harbaugh there. It's not like their entire coaching staff just got gutted. But, um, yeah, I mean, Queen, I, I'm just looking at his numbers. By the way, they have him going to the Broncos. That was the ESPN uh, free agent top 50. And he was ranked 33rd in the 50 uh, players that were listed. But in four years – 454 tackles, 13 and a half sacks, 37 tackles for loss. So this guy's all over the field. Uh, makes you know he's got four interceptions. He's he's knocking down passes. Uh, I mean he's just all over the field. I, I feel like that guy would be a really good way to kind of jumpstart this defense here. You think he takes on blocks or catches them? Bet you he takes them on, Bob. <laughs> that or he's so fast he doesn't have to. Yeah, he's I'm, going under blocks. What do you think he's doing? I don't. Yeah, somebody texted in the other day. What do you mean by going under a block? But basically, what it is is going to the backside gap of the guy that you're. You know, if you're if you're uh, if you've got the the gap that's on his left shoulder, which is to your right, and you try to go under his right shoulder, like run around it, basically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can do that, but um, it, it's I you risk I, the ball carrier running right past you. Though. Yeah, well, you give up your gap. Yeah. Basically, you're kind of you're going into somebody else's gap. You got to be really fast to do it. And look, it's effective, but what it is, it's a changeup. 
You know, you don't you don't throw that pitch every single time because it's if you do get caught in that, it is so easy for a lineman to just stick his hand out and push you, push you and by. It's nothing but green grass there for the running back. Yeah, and he's yeah. got, and then you got no way of catching up to it. So, and look, I remember the first time I did it because my uh, my mentor Keith Butler used to talk about it, and you know, you got to do it. And like he said, always a change up. And the first time I did it. I went to the sidelines. I'm like, hey, Keith, did you see that? <laughs> that was pretty cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up, it is Wednesday, so we play What If Wednesday. What if one quarterback prospect had played better in the national title game? We're going to get into that coming up. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. What? 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 It's time for What If Wednesday. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We've been state champions, no doubt. Wyman and Bob rewrite the scripts of major moves and moments in sports every Wednesday afternoon. Now step into an alternative reality with Wyman and Bob. It is What If Wednesday presented by Mazda of Everett. I bet people thought we were going to talk, talk about Michael Penix here. No, we're not. The What If centers around the great J.J. McCarthy. What if J.J. McCarthy had thrown for more yards in his uh, two college football playoff games? Because I think we – I don't have his numbers. It was it was like – he was 10 of 18 against the Huskies for like 154 yards, 45 yards. I mean, it was – Something like that. Very pedestrian. Yeah. You looked at it. If you hadn't – you never watched Michigan until that game, you would not have walked away from that game going, that's a guy who's going to excel at the next level. Had some nice runs and certainly made some good decisions, but having not watched him all season and you're using that as your barometer, yeah, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have walked out of there with uh, glowing reviews, I don't think. They did win, though, so that's the bottom line. But Joel Klatt explains, in, in his opinion, why J.J. McCarthy will be a good NFL quarterback. J.J. Is, is a lot more... He's more NFL ready than you think, okay? People are going to be like, well, he, he didn't do anything. Look at his numbers. He doesn't drop back and throw. He does drop back and throw, not to the quantity or volume that some of the other players do in this draft. But, man, if you see some of his throws in straight drop back, you're going to be like, yep, there it is. There it is. Like the um, the touchdown that he threw against Ohio State. That was, that was an incredible touchdown right over the middle. He sees the back of the defender, threads the needle. I mean... Roman Wilson was not open, and yet he was open because of the throw. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at his numbers for that game that he's referencing there, Ohio State, 16 for 20, 148 yards, one touchdown. So, yeah, there's lots of times where he doesn't blow you away. Do you have the uh, numbers for the with his, title game? Yeah, you were, you were on it, 10 for 18, 140 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But he ran for 31 yards. Yeah, you just so, look at it and go, eh, yeah. okay. Again, it, to to me, what stood out in that game was his decision making, and especially, you know, the runs were crucial. Yeah, it, I was much more impressed with his his running and where he did it and what it meant at the time versus his passing. I thought it was very nondescript in that game. Yeah, and and for his his numbers as far as his senior year, um, yeah, he was seventy two percent completion percentage and then uh, twenty two touchdowns and four interceptions. So yeah, he didn't really blow your skirt up or anything like that but i think you know he's known as a guy that really knows how to run the offense like you said he makes good decisions with the uh, with his feet and and again i i just think that that's going to be more and more of a premium when you get a quarterback who can run 
Just mm-hmm. like, you know, we talk about Lamar Jackson all the time. Like, he could be a running back, I feel like, on, on a lot of teams. But the way the defenses are handling it and the way that they're penalizing defensive players for that, uh, just I feel like if you're a tough guy and you can take a couple of hits like Lamar Jackson can, why not take off running? I mean, there's some really good opportunities where you get man-to-man coverage, everybody's got their back turned, you know, they've got a blitz on, and you're good to go. And he looks like he handles that part really well. Yeah, and we we've seen firsthand how damaging that can be when Russell was in his prime here. Oh yeah. And he was he was a problem. I mean, he was deadly with his legs and remember he never took a clean hit until uh Clay hit him. Ooh. Yeah. And that's he Clay wasn't Matthews. even looking at. It. He wasn't, you know, the ball carrier so to speak in that that the way he normally was. I wonder if Clay Matthews got fined for that. Uh, he, he didn't did. even get flagged, did he? I don't think they so. And, and Russell popped right up and I was like, I unbelievable but he remember he he was just very adept at just kind of ducking at the last second or rolling with it he never really got hit clean until that moment but and that was an interception return yeah that was he wasn't a ball carrier so it was just yeah it was it was more about you know how devastating that is for a defense like oh geez what a what a nightmare that would be to have to deal with somebody who's that adept at running and can kill you with their arm I'll tell you what, you know, a couple of other amazing things about Russ. I swear, like, his ligaments were made of rubber. Because I don't know if you remember against the 49ers, he got his knee twisted. And I looked at it in slow motion. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a torn MCL, whatever, ACL. And, yeah, nothing. I think he missed a couple of snaps. And then there was uh, the Miami game. I don't remember. Dominican Sue. Dominican Sue fell on his ankle. Yep. And then he, that same year, he had three injuries. I think he had the pec injury, were, the yep. ankle, and a, was it a knee? It was that knee yeah. one. Yeah. It was a San Francisco 49er uh, linebacker who I don't, I don't really remember his name. But yeah, I mean, it, he had that ability. And look, that's. That's, you know, they always say that's the best ability, availability. And if you're healthy and are able to, like, avoid, I mean, every, remember Pete Carroll an- answered that question um, one time a couple of years ago. What's the key for a player who just doesn't get hurt? I'm trying to remember the, the name of the linebacker in Arizona for forever who played in, like, 196 of 200 games in his career. And he just was always healthy. And Pete was talking about how he you know how players like that they just move around the field they have a different sense for it um obviously i was one of those guys that was just gonna you know accident prone i mean i wasn't <laughs> the spatial awareness you know sometimes i'll knock things over with my hands in here Bob. uh but i've yeah. seen that a few times <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i mean it's that's that's an amazing ability to have so and i and to bring it back to our conversation, maybe that's what the deal is with Penix. I mean, it's more and more you see that uh, people are mentioning the the medical part of it. And again, like the Seahawks, they have a standard. I mean, like I think they would have liked to have drafted Ty J Spears last year, the kid mm-hmm. that went to the Titans out of Tulane, and he was fantastic. He was great at the Senior Bowl, which is always a good place to have you know good practices, and they just weren't going to take him. Because of uh, because of the injuries, so and and it you know even if I mean I guess they they would take them like if, if it was the fifth round or something, right. but like for the most part they're just going to trade back and let somebody else make the the mistake that they think it's going to be. Yeah. By the way, somebody sent in a text earlier saying they felt like Penix not playing in the Senior Bowl was a bad move and it hurt him. But you talked about all the scouts leaving before the game happens; they're not there. So how punitive do you think that is? Well, for he's not there for the. 
the game. He wasn't there for the practices, though, was he? I think he was there the whole week except for the game. Oh, okay. That's different. Yeah. That's different. Yeah, to me, it's like, okay, you were there. I mean, those are more important things. Right. I. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Maybe maybe he was there during during uh, during the practices, but yeah, as far as I know, he did everything but the game. Yeah, I think that's fine, yeah. and and I didn't realize that. I actually thought that because I, I watched some of the Senior Bowl practices, but um, but yeah, opting out of that game, it's it's really not that important. But still, I'm like, you know, Bijan Robinson. I always bring him up from last year that he was a guy that uh, that played. You know, he did the combine and then he did a senior. Uh, day at his at Texas like three days later like he's mm. like I'm doing everything and I thought that's exactly how you should be especially if you're not going in the top 10 all right coming up uh, we'll get the latest on everything happening around Major League Baseball spring training our guy John Morosi set to join us next with Wyman and Bob this is Seattle Sports on 710